hey, good morning, LifePoint. How's everybody doing today? Well, good. I'm glad. <laughs> good to have you here with us this morning. If you were new and visiting to LifePoint, welcome. Just so glad to have you here with us. If you wouldn't mind at some point before you leave, texting the word welcome to this number on the screen, 406-219-0314. Uh, just follow the prompts. We promise not to spam you with all kinds of information, but we would love to uh, start a relationship with you and connect with you and grow with you. And I just encourage you to, to do that. Even if you're watching online, I encourage you to do the same thing. And uh, we will uh, reach out to you. If you have a Bible, go to Galatians chapter 3 with me this morning. Uh, if you don't have the scriptures, we'll have them up on the screen for you to follow along with us as well this morning. But we are continuing a series that we started several weeks ago. Uh, in the book of Galatians, and I hope that you're gleaning something from it. Um, that's always a, the hope of every pastor, right, as you teach God's word, that, uh, that you're growing, that you're gleaning not only information, but that you're uh, learning how to live practically in light of it. And so I hope that uh, it's been, been a blessing to you uh, as we've gone through this series. If you're new to LifePoint, uh, let me just briefly kind of tell you what's happening in this book, give you a little bit of an over, overview of uh, the book of Galatians so we kind of know where we're at. Uh, Paul is the writer, and he's writing this letter uh, to these Christians in the southern region of Galatia. It's a group of churches, several churches, and uh, he has been defending the message of the gospel. And just so we're clear, the gospel uh, is the good news about Jesus Christ, uh, that he died, he was buried, and that he rose again from the grave. That is the, you know, the essence of the gospel message, and that our belief in that gospel message is what uh, grants us uh, life eternal. It grants us a relationship with Jesus. And so uh, Paul is defending that, that gospel message, and in, in, in line with that, he's also exposing the lies, uh, because there had begun to be uh, all of these people who were teaching a different message, teaching a different gospel, that were kind of twisting the gospel message, if, if you will, and uh, they were uh, buying into this. Uh, they were buying into this lie that essentially says, hey, guess what? The gospel isn't enough, these false teachers were saying this. Uh, the gospel isn't enough. You need to add uh, you know, some religious works. You gotta be religious. You gotta do some things in order to really retain uh, a relationship with God. You got to be circumcised. You got to become a Jew. You got to follow the law. All of those sorts of things. And so, uh, these false teachers were essentially saying, "Hey, uh, the gospel, the grace that God is uh, affording to us, is not enough." And of course, if you know Paul, uh, that kind of agitated him a little bit. Like, that's not true. That's that's a false message. That's a lie. Uh, it's a lie that was, uh, you know, going to cause people to um, to not only believe a lie, but to uh, uh, to not uh, accept Christ in the future. And so um, Paul has been really just setting this course for uh, the superiority of grace, right? The superiority of the gospel versus this idea uh, really of works-based sal salvation, uh, that belief in the gospel is really what grants us freedom in Christ. And so we, we've spent some time really looking at uh, some of the reasons and some of the arguments uh, that Paul has had in order to convince these guys, hey, don't buy into the lies, right? Don't buy into the lies that uh, these people want you to, to buy into. And so the past few weeks, we've been looking at some of the questions that Paul has asked uh, these very Christians uh, to, to convince them 
to, uh, to not buy into these things. And so we come to a section in, in, in Galatians chapter three that uh, it's connected. Like I, I so want you to understand as we kind of walk through this and, and understand if you're new to LifePoint, this is probably way more teaching than preaching. Like what you're gonna hear this morning is there's gonna be a lot of information and teaching and, and just helping us build our understanding uh, that surrounds this idea of why is the gospel superior? Why is it important? Why should we defend the gospel? But we come to this section in chapter three and it's connected really to the previous thoughts, right? But it takes a little bit of a different turn. Uh, and I'll explain what I mean by that here in just a moment. But let me just give you a reason to lean in. Uh, let me give you a reason to listen, right? As if you needed that, hopefully you come here and you wanna listen and hear to the word of God. But let me, let me just create some buy-in for us this morning. Uh, because this is of great consequence. Like, don't, don't miss the consequence of what we're talking about this morning. Uh, and that is, is that the gospel, we said this last week, is always under attack, right? The truth of the gospel, it's not, it's not a popular message today to say that the only way to have a relationship with God is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's not popular, right? That, that's not a popular message in the world that we live in today, but the gospel is being attacked. Truth of course, is, is under attack. Uh, and we, the church, cannot be ignorant to that fact, right? Uh, and so however subtle, however obvious those attacks may be, we, the church, today need to have both the discernment, and this is important, and the courage to stand up for what is true. Uh, I, I mean, if, if you, are, you watch the news, obviously you're aware of what's happening. Anybody not aware of what's happening in our world today? <laughs> you know? Um, if there was ever a time, right, to stand for truth, it would be now, right? If there was ever a time in America to stand for what is true, it would be now. Uh, and, and we as the church today, guys, we need discernment, we need courage to stand for what is true and to also stand, for what is, stand against what is not true, right? We need to be willing to uh, fight against false ideas. And I wanna remind you this morning that this is part of your calling. I've, throughout my years in ministry, spent a lot of time in youth ministry and speaking to teens and other people, and, and we always wanna know, what's my calling in life, right? Uh, what has God called me to? Well, you're called as a Christian to stand for truth. Like, don't ever forget that. We are called to stand for truth and actually oppose ideas that are in opposition to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's a big, bold statement, I know. Uh, but let me just remind us of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. We'll, we'll get to Galatians here in just a moment. But I mentioned this verse last Sunday, but I think it's worth mentioning again. You know, often our, our, our growth and our, our walk with Christ, it's not, it's not always about like understanding new information. While that's important and that's true, often, and this has been my experience, it's about reminding myself about what is true, Right? reminding myself about who God is and his character and what he is doing. And so, so often we just need to be reminded of the foundational truths in order to walk you know, through life successfully. But one of the things that Paul says um, to a group of Christians, and I wanna emphasize this, this is to a group of Christians, this is to a church. Uh, Paul says a, a pretty bold statement in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse five. He says, we, we collectively, we destroy arguments, and we destroy every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's a, that's a pretty bold statement, right? 
Uh, those are some pretty strong words uh, from the Apostle Paul. And, and I think when we read things like this, there, there's just so much confusion, right? Because we're like, is that for me? Right? Is that for us? Was that just an Apostle Paul thing? Or is that something we uh, are supposed to do as well? And like, how do we do that, right? Like, do we protest with signs? Like, everybody get your sign, right? And let's go march around, you know, the Capitol. And that'll change everything, right? Uh, do, we, do we yell and scream, right? Like, my voice will be heard, and we stomp, and we spit, and we fume, and we get angry, and we just like, people are going to hear me, you know? Is that what we do? Um, do we get politically involved in order for, you know, God's truth to be um, pushed forward? I mean, like, what do we do? Uh, you can take this for what it's worth. I personally don't believe any of those things are effective. Um, I don't think any of those things are an effective approach, but here's, here's how I believe, and this is, this is my thoughts, okay, um, that, that we should look look at this in everyday life. What is, what is 2 Corinthians 10.5, this idea of standing for truth and destroying arguments and opinions that are raised against the knowledge of God? Let me just give you a few thoughts this morning. Like, how do we do that? Not exhaustive. It's gonna tie into what we're talking about this morning. Uh, the first thing is this. We need to be able and willing to interpret the messages of the world with a biblical perspective. You and I, if we're gonna be people who stand for truth, we need to be able to identify error, right? Uh, like, we, we not only need to be willing, but we need to be able to walk through life and see everything through the biblical lens of Scripture, right? We, we need to be understanding of what's happening in our world today. And listen, not only for ourselves, but for our kids, right? Like, if you as a parent, as an adult today, cannot discern between good and evil, between true message, false message today, man, how much you know, more is your kid, your children, are they gonna be able to discern that? And so we need to be able and willing to interpret those messages. Number two, we need to be willing to lovingly engage people in conversations about truth. Here's a real danger. We read big statements like, destroy arguments and every opinion raised against the knowledge of God, how do I do that? We need to engage people. I think Christians, I had a conversation with someone this morning, um, kind of about this very thing, but we so put our heads in the sand and say, it's not my problem, not my issue. Let me live the way I wanna live, right? Uh, and we take ourselves completely out of the culture and we hide in churches, right? But we never engage people in loving conversations about truth. And so how do we destroy arguments and opinions raised against the knowledge of God? We gotta have conversations with people. Uh, that are, that are uh, from the basis of love, and we'll talk about that point uh, here later on. And number three is this, is that we need to be willing to confront one another <laughs> regarding lies that we may be believing. Again, th this comes back to this idea that Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul in Galatians, guess, these are all Christians. These are all people that have a tendency to buy into error and false views and lies uh, that are gonna bewitch them in, in the words of the Apostle Paul. And so we need to be willing, if we're gonna destroy arguments and, uh, and things that oppose uh, the truth, we actually need to be willing to confront one another about the lies that we're believing. And that's a hard thing, right? Uh, nobody likes confrontation. But listen, none of this is new to Christianity. Like, understand that. 
none of this, uh, these thoughts that Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians or even Galatians is new. Uh, the lies that began to infiltrate the church, uh, the be- bewitching uh, Christians, none of that is new. We just, we just kind of you know, become way too passive, I think, as Christians. It was not, not my problem, right? And we kind of go about life, and I, I think the reason for that is nobody likes conflict, right? Uh, you're not gonna wake up tomorrow morning and be like, man, I can't wait to deal with a conflict on Monday morning with my boss. <laughs> it's gonna be so much fun, right? Like, nobody does that, right? We don't like conflict. And so, um, and so we just kind of you know, passively go through the world um, with just like you know, that mentality. Um, and, and I think the world has just shoved their views on us, right? Um, the world has really shoved their political correct- correctness on us and we just kind of buy into it. We don't say anything. We don't confront one another. Uh, we don't stand for truth. And so uh, let me just remind you something as we kind of get uh, further into this of what the, the Apostle Paul said again in Ephesians 4, uh, in verses 14 through 15. This is so important. It, it goes back to that idea of the conversations, having loving conversations about truth. Uh, Paul says this, notice in verse 14, so that we may no longer be children. Um, let me just gently remind you, you should not be a, a, an immature Christian. Uh, you shouldn't be a child in the faith, so to speak. You, you, you should be taking steps each and every day. We collectively should be taking steps uh, to grow in our faith. And he says this, not only should you uh, not be children in your faith, you, sh- you shouldn't be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, simply meaning you, you shouldn't let life and, and ideas of the world just kind of you know, sway you back and forth. You believe one thing one day, and the next day you believe something different. Like we, we should be solid in what we believe and we should stand on those things. Then he says, uh, it happens because of you know, uh, human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. But then he says this, and this is something probably everyone will be uh, familiar with, rather speaking the truth in love, right? In the context of our relationship with one another, we are to grow up in every way in him who is the head into Christ. And so Paul says, hey, guess what? There's a real danger, right? So why should you lean in this morning? Why should you listen? There is a real danger for every single person in this room today to buy in to the craftiness, the deceitfulness, the lies, not only that are in the world, but also that can invade this place, right? We need to be aware of that, right? Um, We shouldn't allow ideas to toss us back and forth. We should be steadfast, but then we're to speak the truth in love. And listen, this is really important to remember um, and I have it on the screen if you want to write it down. When love, or yeah, when love is void of truth, it's not love at all, right? Can we agree with that statement this morning? Um, when love is void of truth, it is not love at all. And you can read Proverbs has a lot to say about that very thing, uh, about a friend and about speaking truth and that sort of thing. And so understand something important. Again, these are all things that are said in the context of church, <laughs> right? Uh, These are things that are said uh, to Christians, the false ideas, the false views, the false doctrine, the human wisdom was everything. All of those things were things uh, that were affecting the church from the inside, not just the outside. And so that's a real danger uh, for all of us to kind of pay attention to. We are prone to lies. We are susceptible. And so that's why the Spirit is so important, right? We've been talking about the Holy Spirit walking in the Holy Spirit, and Paul is gonna really close out this letter uh, emphasizing that very point, is that if you want to live successfully, and you want truth, and you want to combat the lies for yourself and for your kids and for other people, 
Man, you got to learn to walk in the spirit of God. And so uh, that idea, destroying arguments, opinions raised against the knowledge of God, hey, you're called to that, right? We are all called to that very thing. And that is what Paul is doing in the book of Galatians. Paul is combating those lies, destroying those arguments. Well, let's read our text. And and we're going to be in verses 6 through 9 this morning. Um, Really, we're going to focus on verse number 6. But understand, these verses are connected to the previous. Um, if you're new to LifePoint, you're jumping in with us this morning, you gotta go home and read verses one through five to kind of understand really everything that's happening. But these verses are connected to verses one through five. You can't divorce them from their context, right? Context is always king uh, when you read the scriptures. Like, you can't ever forget that. Um, you've gotta understand the, con- uh, the context. And where Paul left off uh, last Sunday was in verse number five with this question that we talked about. We talked about five questions. Who has bewitched you? You know, who who has deceived you? Uh, How did you, you know, start in the spirit of God? Meaning like, how did salvation come about, right? Um, Was it because you're so great, you did all these amazing works, or was it through faith um, in in who God is, right? Um, And then this last question Paul asked was essentially this, why does God do anything for us? What motivates God to do anything for you? What motivates God to work on your behalf? Remember that question we talked about last, last Sunday. Is it purely by his grace or is it by our spiritual performance? Look at verse number five, just so we kind of understand what Paul's saying. He says this, does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do so by the works of the law or by hearing by faith? Uh, and that, uh, are, that is the argument that Paul is really making throughout this whole book. Um, is life with God all about your performance? Or is it about faith? Is it about grace? So works of the law versus grace. And grace, of course, is the basis uh, for our relationship with God, not our performance. And so Paul is really making that point uh, throughout this book. But he's going to dive into that a little bit, a little bit more. And so let's read verse, verses six through nine and see what we can discover this morning. It says this in verse six, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then, verse seven, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you, shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So remember, verse six, continuation uh, from verse five. Like, remember that. And here's what we're gonna focus on this morning. I always try to do my best to like boil it down to one main thought, one main idea, so we can all kind of understand what's happening here. We're gonna really uh, deal with uh, three thoughts, three questions from verse number six this morning. But it all relates to this one idea that we find here in this passage, and that is this, is that the gospel removes distinctions. When you think of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want you to understand that it removes the distinctions that humanity often puts on one another. It removes the social distinctions. It removes the prejudices, the racial distinctions that we often have uh, within within our culture. I was talking to uh, my wife, Christine, about this this past week, and as I was like studying this out and reading, I, I just, for some reason, like things hit you, right? And you're just like, wow, I, I never saw the racial prejudice 
of the Jews like I have seen it in Galatians. Um, like I, I always knew that they were prejudiced towards Gentiles, meaning that they, they just, you know, if you weren't a Jew, then we're gonna look at you differently. And there was just kind of that common, customary, historical uh, prejudice. I mean, I knew they hated the Samaritans, right? The Samaritans were, they were mixed Jews. They had intermarried with Gentiles, and, and if you were a you know, full-blooded Jew, uh, they didn't think highly of them. They didn't think highly of you know, tax collectors and people such as that, but th- those, were, you know, those cultural prejudices have always been there, but I never really saw the depth of their prejudice as it related to the gospel, and I'll explain what I mean by that, and that is this, is that the Jews weren't okay Uh, with a gospel that tore down their Jewishness. The the Jews were never okay with this idea of removing their distinctness as God's people. They always wanted to retain their, their Jewishness and their tradition and their ancestry and their history and all of those kinds of things Um, the gospel removed that distinction, and they didn't like it very much. Uh, The idea of grace was really a troubling thing for the Jews. Um, They were uncomfortable, really, with the Gentile world sharing in all the promises of being sons and daughters of Abraham. Um, And I think that's so important to understand as we get to this, like, why are are these people even coming into these churches and saying, hey, you got to be a Jew first, uh, you got to be circumcised if you're a male. You, you've got to follow the traditions. You've got to do all of this stuff. Like, where is that coming from? It's coming from this, this cultural prejudice, this exclusivity. And, and, and they were naturally exclusive. And, and in a way, I don't blame them because they were God's chosen people, right? The nation of Israel. God set them apart. God blessed them unlike any other nation in the world. I mean, they were and they still are, mind you, God's people, and, and remember this, God still has a plan for Israel. Let me just make a side note here, because I, I think you start to see this, uh, these kinds of thoughts kind of come out in, in our society today um, that relate to Israel and how it impacts the church. And I'm just going to say this, and you, you take it for what it's worth, you study it for yourself, but I personally do not believe uh, in what's called replacement theology. Have you ever heard of that before? replacement theology. It's, it's the, the idea, and it's a fancy way of just saying, saying this, that God's promises to Israel are fulfilled in and through the church. Like, Israel, it doesn't matter anymore. Like, God's done with Israel, and, and he takes everything that was promised to Israel uh, and places it on the church today. Um, and that's just not true, and it does not line up with uh, Scripture, and it doesn't line up with the future plan that God has for Israel. Um, so you, you can't impose the promises to the nation of Israel and put them on the church. And that, that is just such a common, common error that we find even in the church today. So like, are there lies? Are there things that you know, can infiltrate the church? Yeah, you, you bet there, they, there are. So in light of that, the, the Jews became very pious. The Jews became very, very uh, pious and really prejudiced towards non-Jews. I mean, they knew that they were God's chosen people. They knew the promises made to them. They, they knew uh, that they were you know, sons and daughters of Abraham. We're going to talk about him this morning. And they felt superior to other people groups and other nations. But then the gospel comes along. And the truth of the gospel, guess what it does? It removes all of those distinctions and it tears down racial inequities, it removes social inequities, economic inequities, uh, religious inequities. Look what Paul would say later in uh, the same chapter, in Galatians chapter three, 
in verses 27 through 29, and I know this is just way more like teaching uh, than it is preaching this morning, but just bear along with me. In verse 27, he says this. He says, for as many uh, of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You're a Christian. You believed in Jesus. You have a relationship with him. All of you people, that's who he's talking to. He says, in light of that fact, look what he says in verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and there is no female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're, you're Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. What's Paul's, Paul's point? All of, all of those titles you wear and all of those things you think are so important and define who you are in life and your status and you know, whatever the case might be, Paul would say none of that matters in Christ because the gospel removes all of those distinctions. No one is better than the other. And no one is more entitled than the other person. Just because you're a Jew doesn't make you more entitled than someone else. No one is more entitled. All are, all are equal because the gospel removes distinctions. And so in, in light of that, let me just remind us all here this morning of an important truth that you probably know, uh, but I'm gonna tell you anyways. We're no better than anyone else, right? Like, just because you're here, and, and you may even have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are no better than anyone else in this world today. And we should not approach the world with this pious kind of mindset because we fall into the same trap uh, as these Jews did, that they had this kind of you know, superior mentality. We're just recipients of grace, amen? Uh, we are uh, forgiven sinners. We have been translated from darkness to light, but we're no better, right? May we never forget that. You see, the gospel removes all of those distinctions in Christ. Heaven's gonna be this wonderful melting pot of nations and people, um, and we're not gonna look at each other based upon you know, titles and status and who we are and who we're not, those sorts of things. We're gonna be one in Jesus, and, and the church today is to be a picture of that very thing uh, on planet Earth. And so um, there's so many implications, of course, with that, how we should approach the world, right, and how we should approach uh, sharing the gospel. And we'll kind of lean into those uh, as we get further along in uh, Galatians 3. But let's talk about what's happening here, specifically in this passage. And I'm gonna break it down uh, into just a few um, questions, simple questions, important questions, because I'm kind of a simple guy, and uh, this is just kind of how my brain works. But three, three questions we're gonna talk about this morning, probably just actually two, because <laughs> we're not gonna get to all three, I know for sure. Uh, we're gonna talk about this. Who is Abraham? And why is he important to the discussion in, in the book of Galatians? Who is Abraham? Why is he important to the discussion? Number two, what does it mean that Abraham believed God in verse six? And then number three, and we'll talk about this next week, is our faith, the faith that we express in Christ, is that a work, right? Is, and is it a work that grants us righteous standing with God? Um, and we'll talk about why I would ask that question. But let's, let's talk about the first question this morning. Who is Abraham? And why is he important? Uh, verse number six, Paul, you know, right out of the gate says, hey, just as Abraham believed God, just as Abraham, right? Um, why is Paul, who is a Jew, bringing up Abraham, who is also a Jew, to a group of Gentiles who really have no historic um, understanding or historical, you know, uh, understanding of the Jewish ancestors? Like, why would Paul... Uh, bring up Abraham in this conversation with a group of people who are like, we're not Jews, 
Like, we're, we're, we're Gentiles, right? Like, why would Paul uh, do this in this conversation? I kind of envision this confused exchange between Paul and the Galatians, where Paul's like, you know, just like Abraham, right? Just like Abraham, right? And, and the Galatians are like, oh, yeah, yeah, just like Abraham. Who's, who's Abraham? Like, like, that's how I envision this, this exchange. And, and some of you may be feeling that same tension for, uh, this morning. Uh, you're kind of searching the archives of Sunday school. Like, yeah, who is Abraham, right? Uh, and the only thing that comes to mind is the song, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. But I really don't know, you know, who is Abraham. And so why, Paul, why are you pulling the Abraham card, right? Why is he part of the conversation? Why are we talking about him? Well, here's the deal. The Jews kind of worshiped Abraham. Uh, they immortalized Abraham. They, you know, idolized Abraham, and, and rightly so. I mean, he's the father of the Jews, so to speak. He's kind of a big deal in Jewish history. And let me just show you why that is true. And we're going to go all the way back to Genesis, and we're going we're gonna to Sunday school lesson it this morning, okay? Um, why is Abraham important? Genesis chapter 11 we learn a little bit about Abraham and his, his family and where they were at and, and where God called uh, Abraham. Notice verse 27, it says, now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. And Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife is Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife is Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Follow so far. <laughs> now Sarah was barren, she had no child. And Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, okay? And his, his grandson, you're probably familiar with Lot, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son's Abram's wife, and they went forth from Ur, the Chaldeans, to go into the land of Canaan. And when they came to Haran, they settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years. Terah died in Haran. Okay, so here's what's happening. Terah and his dad, right? He's got three sons. Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran, who's the son of Terah, and the father of Lot, who would later um, cause some issues for Abraham, um, his dad, Haran, dies, right? And so Terah moves his family from Ur and, uh, to a place called Haran. They were going kind of into the territory of Canaan. And they kind of settle in, hey, the city of Haran is named after my son. Let's stop there, right? Sounds like a good place to live. So we kind of understand that context, right? Jump to Genesis chapter 12 and starting in verse number one, because God speaks to Abraham. And this is of great, great consequence. And it says in verse number one of chapter 12, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred um, in your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and in him, uh, him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in him all the, in you, excuse me, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abraham, uh, he went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from her end. This is what is known as the Abrahamic covenant. It's kind of a big deal. God makes a covenant with Abraham. Uh, God makes some promises to Abraham. He says, I want you to get up, I want you to leave. I'm not gonna tell you where it is, but I want you to leave. And if, you, if you're obedient, Abraham, I'm gonna do some great things through you. We're not gonna go into all the details for time's sake, but the most important thing for us to think about today is that part of the promise 
And part of the blessing of Abraham was that through him, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Think about this, the, the blessing upon Abraham would have a worldwide impact. That impact extends to 2021 for you and I even today. And what that is is a reference to the Messiah, that the Messiah would come through the Jewish nation. It would come through uh, Abraham's family, uh, and Jesus will bless all the families of the earth through what? His finished work uh, upon the cross. That's some pretty awesome stuff, right? But here's what began to happen. So you get all that in your head, right? Huge promise. Abraham's like, wow, um, God's going to use me, and this nation is going to be born through my family and through my line, and the earth is going to be blessed. I mean, like, man, that's awesome, right? Uh, the world is going to be blessed by my presence. I mean, that, that's not really Abraham's thought, but you kind of get the idea here, right? But here's what began to happen through the centuries, right? We kind of fast forward in history to the Jews during the time in the, in the second or third century when Galatians was written. The Jews believed that because they were sons and daughters of Abraham, they were automatically good with God. You see what's happening here? Okay, you know, we're, we're sons and daughters of Abraham. God made a promise to him. He made a covenant with him. And, and, and all of these wonderful things are going to happen. Anyone who dishonors Israel will be cursed. Hey, our God's going to curse you, right, if you curse us. Our God will bless you if you bless us. We are pretty special people. And so it was natural for them to think this. We are better than everyone else, right? We're Jews, we're Jews. Hence, this thought and idea that came about in the book of Galatians, you have got to become a Jew if you want to be reconciled with God, right? That was the message of these people that were known as the Judaizers, these people that want to make other people Jews first uh, in order for them to have a relationship with God. That was the message that they were proclaiming. You Gentiles, guess what? You're not good enough. You've got to become one of us. Like, we're the real sons and daughters of promise. We're the elite group. We're God's chosen people. You need to become us first. This gospel stuff, it's not enough. But Paul is here to flip the script. And Paul is here to kind of teach us a little bit about Abraham, this guy that you are idolizing, this guy that you are, you know, holding up and thinking that uh, if, you, if you're just a son and daughter of Abraham, if you're a Jew, if you have all these Jewish traditions and things, then, then you're good. Paul's going to flip the script on Abraham and about their ideas about who he is. He's going to show them that their ideas about Abraham are actually false and that Abraham was not justified because of some religious works. And let me just remind you this morning, if you are relying upon your good works or the fact that you're in church or doing good things for good people to earn God's favor for you, you are, you are terribly, terribly mistaken. Because that is not what is, what is being taught in scripture. And this is the, the argument that Paul is making. And he's gonna use really some proof texts for, for us to understand. In fact, Paul is quoting for us in Galatians chapter number three in verse six, Paul is actually quoting the Old Testament. And he's going back, he's going, let, let me prove to you who Abraham really is and what actually went on in his life. And so let me just turn your attention to Genesis chapter 15. We'll kind of skip ahead uh, in Abraham's story, God shows up again 
and he speaks to Abraham. And, and Abraham has kind of gotten to this point in his life where a lot of time has passed. He's 75 years old, and if anyone is 75 years old in this room this morning, the last thing on your mind is this, having a child. <laughs> like, can we be honest about that? <laughs> right? And, you know, Abraham and Sarah, like, the clock is ticking. Like, it's already ticked, and it ran out, and now, you know what I mean? There's this big promise, and it's not happening, right? And they, they became frustrated, as you can imagine. And so Abraham speaks to God, and it says, and after these things, and you got to, you know, read chapter 14 to understand everything that's happening. But after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And God said, fear not, Abram, I'm your shield, I'm your reward, or your reward shall be very great. But Abraham, <clears throat> Abram said, O oh Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is this you know, Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my own household is going to be my heir. One of my servants is going to get everything I got. I mean, that, that's Abram's argument, right? And behold, the, the word of the Lord came to him and said, this, this man, Eliezer, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said, so shall your offspring, offspring be. Verse number six, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Just as Abraham. And so Abraham's this important dude, but not for the way that the Jews are making him out to be, right? The hinge point and the most important thing uh, for those Jews and those Galatians to understand is this, this guy that has such rich history and so, is so important uh, to us as a nation, the most important thing is that he believed the Lord. The most important thing was that Abraham expressed faith in the person of God, which really leads us to this next thought this morning. We'll try to wrap it up with this. Is what does it mean that Abraham believed God? What does it even mean to believe God? You know, um, through the years, you kind of hear, you know, lots of phrases, and we kind of use these catchphrases, and I often hear this being kind of thrown around. I'm sure you've said it, or you've maybe heard it before. Somebody says this, do you believe in God? Have you heard that before? Do you believe in God. And what they often mean by that is this, that do you believe in the existence of God? Do you believe that God is real? Do you believe that, that God is, you know, in heaven or somewhere that God actually exists? That's typically what people think today when they hear or, or they ask that question, do you believe God? But that's not the belief that Abraham is expressing here that Paul is alluding to. That Paul's not like, hey, you know, Abraham believed that there was this higher power right? He wasn't this person who just, you know, believed that there was this, you know, creator, this God that's just kind of out there, this, this, this belief. And, and that's important because we have this tendency as human beings to say, well, you know, I believe God. I've always kind of believed in God and in the person of God. And, and, and Paul wants us to understand, I think Abraham would want us to understand, that's not saving faith, you see, there were lots of people, even during Jesus' day, who were like, yay, Jesus, we love Jesus. He just fed us, right? And Jesus would say, I'm not gonna commit myself to you because I know that your belief isn't real. And so we need to kind of peel the layer back a little bit and say, what does it mean 
to believe God. Is, is Abraham expressing here some just, you know, general I believe in the existence of God here, or is it more? It's more. And Abraham's belief is based on this, God's word. That what Abraham is placing his belief in, his faith and his trust in, is in the very word of God. And there's a big, big difference this morning. See, you can believe in the existence of God, but not believe God, right? You, you can believe that there is some higher power, some intelligent design, however you want to put it this morning, but that does not mean that you believe in God and have a saving relationship with him this morning. Remember what this book is all about, right? Galatians is all about faith in the person and work of Jesus. And that Paul would say, that's enough. You don't need to do more. You don't need to be religious because none of those things started a relationship with God because you were amazing and you're so good. I mean, none of us can come to God, right? Faith alone leads to salvation, not this idea of works-based salvation. And so Paul says, what did Abraham do? He believed God. The word believe in, in, uh, in, in, in the, the Greek is the word pisteo. And it means this, it means to place confidence in or to be persuaded of something. You see, God made this big, bold promise to Abraham. And Abraham said this, my trust and my confidence is completely in that promise. That I, I have complete confidence uh, even though I don't see it, even though I'm not going to see the end result of this, my complete confidence and trust is in God's word. And, and, and this is the idea of faith. You fast forward to Hebrews and this, this popular you know, passage in, in book of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, verses one through 11. Notice real quick, it says this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You don't see it, but you hope in it and you trust in it, that's faith. And it says this in verse two, and this is an important phrase, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By what? Their works, their circumcision, their Jewishness, their tradition, the law, all of those good works? No, no, by faith. And, and so he goes on and says, by faith Abel, by faith Enoch, uh, without faith it's impossible to please him, by faith Noah, and then by faith uh, verse number eight, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents, and with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Look at all of the Old Testament saints. What are they commended for? Faith, right? Faith. Their, their amazing abilities in, in devotion? No, no, not, not at all. Their faith. And so as you go through scripture, you find this, this idea of faith that it is the thing that, that grants us righteousness. And we don't have time to go there, but read Romans chapter number four. Uh, there are so many things in Romans that, that uh, Paul kind of builds upon uh, this argument and, uh, and, and teaches us a little bit more about what's happening in Abraham's life. Um, but look at Romans 4, 9 through 10. Joseph, just skip to that, that verse there, Romans chapter 4 and verses 9 through 10. Uh, Paul says this, is, is this blessing then only for the circumcised? This is this argument about salvation. Is it only for Jews? 
is it only for those who keep the law, or also is it for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness, uh, not as circumcision, not as Jewishness, not any of those things. And so how was it counted to him? And we'll talk about this uh, next week. Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Meaning this, was Abraham justified before he was circumcised or after? Because you see, the Jews were like, it's all about circumcision, it's all about the law, you gotta do all these things in order to be accepted. And, and Paul says here, no, it, it was, it was uh, before he was circumcised. And Paul, of course, brings up a really important uh, argument that obedience uh, to circumcision was not necessary for justification. Um, but Abraham was counted righteous because of, his, because of his faith. And so here's the thing, salvation in the Old Testament, same as the New. Salvation in the Old Testament is no different than it is today. It is by faith in the guy that you hold so dear in order to justify your works-based salvation, speaking of the Judaizers, uh, he's not the guy you think he is. He's not the guy you think he is. Um, he was justified by faith in the promise of God. He believed, and listen, through that belief, God granted him righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. You see, the gospel is always meant to remove the distinctions that we place upon ourselves and upon society. That's all we really have time for this morning. I'm gonna have you stand, and I'm gonna have our worship team come up as we get ready to close this morning. And I'm gonna just leave you with this question today. Do you believe in God, or do you believe God? You see, we have a tendency to think as Christians that our belief in God starts and ends at salvation. If you're here this morning and there's never been a moment in your life where you have said, I place my total trust and confidence in what Jesus has done for me at the cross. It's done, it's over, it's finished. Listen, if there's never been a time in your life where you have done that, you've totally believed and, and you're here and you've just been relying on your good works, Galatians is all about this idea that says, it'll never be good enough. You can't go to church enough. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't do good things in life enough to earn justification with God, a relationship with God. It doesn't work that way. It's purely by God's grace. And God says, hey, I just give you an opportunity to either accept that grace and that forgiveness and that gift or reject it, but it's your choice. But it's never based on works and it's never based on our righteousness because we have none. And so Paul's whole argument throughout this entire book is going to be, do you really believe in the person and work of Jesus? Do you believe in him? If you've done that here this morning, you're a, you're a Christian. Can I, can I take that a step further and ask you, do you believe God now in your current situation? Do you trust him? Do you have complete and total confidence in who God is and the promises that he's made to you. Because here's the danger, the lies, this is where this all comes into play. The lies of the world, the deception. We think if I, if I just had this relationship, this job, this amount of money, this car, this boat, this life, my life would be better. And he was like, hey, that's actually not true. And you're buying into a lie. And until we get to the point that we say, God, you are enough for me, 
and I have complete and total trust and confidence in who you are, we will just spin our wheels in frustration. We'll go to church and it'll mean nothing. And there'll be no power and there'll be no presence in our lives because we're really hoping for something else. And all the while, God is there saying, just trust me. Just trust me. Do you have that kind of trust? Can I tell you this morning that trust is built and it's built through hardships and through trials and through circumstances of life and every moment that we walk through. God just wants us to say, I don't get it. I don't like it, right? But I trust you because you're good. Is God that to you today? He's gotta be. He's gotta be. This is the kind of faith the church today in 2021 in, in this America that we live in, this is who we need to be because the world outside these walls needs to see the grounded, the grounded confidence in the person of God. All of this matters. Everything that Paul is speaking to these Galatians, it didn't just matter for them, it matters for us today to be able to navigate life successfully. Father God, we're so grateful. We don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve the forgiveness that you, um, that you suffered so much to, to give to us. But God, we're grateful for it. And Lord, we ask and pray that you would help us to understand the gospel better so that we can live the gospel every day, that we can understand that it's not about the titles we wear, the jobs we have, or whatever the case might be, but it's about people hearing the greatest message, the most important message in all the world and all the earth is the message of your son who so willingly died in our place. God, may we leave here with that, that thought permeating our hearts and our minds that the gospel matters most. Help us to live that out. God, help us to be the people we need to be. Help us to not buy into the lies and be bewitched by false ideas. But God, may we be grounded in truth today. We pray in Christ's precious name. Amen. Would you worship one last time with us?